This is Giving the Game Away with Cam Scott and Joel Barber. And our series of podcasts features interviews with a range of elite athletes, including Olympic gold medalists, international footballers, and BBC Sports Personality of the Year winners. This is a podcast that aims to explore the areas of an athlete's life that aren't often talked about, such as dealing with rejection, recovering from injuries, and handling the media. We also think there are so many lessons to learn from top-level sport, and by exploring the journeys of these athletes, we are hoping to show how those learnings can be applied to our own journeys, whether in sport or in our day-to-day lives. It's so good today to have on Tamal Mills, who has gone from a 13-year-old who hadn't even played cricket to becoming one of England's most exciting players and fastest bowlers ever. Instead of playing four-day cricket, he now goes round the world playing the different T20 franchises. And in 2017, for just six weeks of his work, the Royal Challengers Bangalore paid a million quid. Tamal's success is even more impressive when you consider at 22 he was offered retirement after doctors discovered he had a rare spinal condition. But Tamal's determination to make a career out of cricket meant he turned down the retirement offer and adapted his game to limit the impact of the condition. It really is a fascinating story and we're looking forward to hearing how Tamal managed to go from near retirement to England international million dollar player. So Tamal, thank you so much for coming on. You are someone who's reached the top of their sport and as a result you're now going around the world, chasing the sun, playing all the different T20 franchises. But what is so interesting about your story is that, if I'm right in saying, you hadn't even played cricket at the age of 13. Yeah, no, it's, uh, my my story, my journey into cricket is obviously not the the, the standard one. Uh, I didn't grow up playing cricket. Um, so I grew up in a small town in Suffolk. Um, and around there, cricket isn't a you know, big sport. Um, definitely didn't play at school. I just went to kind of the local state school, whereas it was more the private schools that played cricket. Um, so yeah, cricket just wasn't it wasn't accessible to me. It wasn't part of my life growing up. I was mad about every other sport, football, basketball, rugby, athletics, anything. But um, yeah, I got into cricket really late. It was um, yeah, pretty much I was at school one day and my mate played in a midweek league team on a Wednesday night and they needed an extra player and he asked if I could play. So um, that was my first real an uh, actual cricket game uh, you know they kind of they got me some whites and I just played in some trainers and um, yeah that, that's what got me involved in cricket so obviously I'm very grateful for, for that mate that, that one day and do you think that's been to your advantage that you started quite late because obviously there'll be so many people in cricket who sort of start around seven or eight and they may be like pushed into it but by the time they're 18 they've played sort of 10 years so do you think that's yeah, your advantage I think so yeah as you, you, as you say I think a lot of guys a lot of kids, no matter what the sport, if it's not just cricket, football, rugby, whatever, when you get guys that have been in systems, been training, been playing since they were six, seven, eight years old, by the time they get to 15, 16, 17, a lot of guys can be burnt, burnt out by it. They, they're not enjoying it anymore. They're doing the same training over and over again that they've been doing for 10 years or whatever. And maybe if they're not quite sure if they're going to make it, um, the motivation might drop off. But as you say, I was literally learning everything um, as I went along when I was 16, Seven, I said 17, 18 at Essex, I was, I could bowl fast and that was literally it. I was having to learn how to control bowling fast, which took a long time. I had to learn how to bat. I had to learn how to field. I had to learn all these, all these other things that, as you said, as I said, that all these other guys have been doing for so long. So for them, it was probably monotonous, but I was just enjoying it. And I, I had no, um, 
I wasn't thinking, okay, yeah, I'm going to make it. I was, I was just enjoying the, the process really. And um, I was enjoy, I always loved sport and I was enjoying being able to train and play, at, you know, at proper facilities that we had at Chelmsford and, and yeah, just, I was just enjoying it and just taking it as it, as it came. I had no, you know, I wasn't thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to play for England or anything. I was just, I was just enjoying it and, and taking it as it came. Yeah. And it's, it's good as well that you were sort of, you said you were maybe bowling a few wise no balls. You're sort of learning as you go along, but it's good that you were encouraged just to keep that pace up because it could have had, there could have been a coach that could have like tried to get you to control your bowling more or something like that. So it's good that you were encouraged just to bowl as fast as you can and you'll pick it up as you go along. Yeah, it's look, it was it was something I always really tussled with, especially when I started playing first class cricket, playing four day cricket, and you need to you need to have control. And I was always tussling between trying to bowl maybe a little bit slower and control the ball or swing it or seam it or whatever, or just run in and bowl as fast as I could. So it was always something I struggled with. Um, but you're right, going back to when I was younger, especially when I was kind of 15, 16, 17, really just playing club cricket or minor counties age group cricket, I was definitely encouraged just to bowl quicker. I dug out, I found a scorecard, I put them on my Instagram at the start of the summer, I think these two scorecards when I was playing for Suffolk, uh, as an under 16s or 17s, and I was bowled you know, double digit wides and no balls in these games. And I look back, I, I could barely remember the games, but um, yeah, I was always encouraged just to, you know, bowl fast. And I was always given the opportunity to bowl. It wasn't like I was bowling a bad over and then that was it. I wouldn't bowl. I wouldn't play again for the rest of the day. So I have a lot of people to be thankful for that I was, being, I was given a lot of opportunities. Um, and people could obviously see that I had kind of talent that if, you know, if I figured it out one day, I could, I could potentially go on to, to make a make a living out of it and that's great because it, that is a really progressive way of coaching I think fast bowling is is such a unique skill um, and it's amazing that your coaches encouraged it and embraced it um, and it worked because um, you were one of the fastest bowlers in English cricket I mean you still are um, but at, at such a young age you're one of the fastest bowlers and exciting players um, and you're taking loads of wickets you're doing really well but then you had that a uh, really unfortunate incident where you had a strange sensation in your legs um, and it transpired that you had a condition that almost forced your retirement. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that condition and that whole experience, really? Yeah, look, it was pretty, it was pretty nasty. Um, so, yeah, it started when I was maybe 21. I was at Essex. I was in my last year of my contract at Essex. And I was play, you know, playing in, in the county. I was in the county championship team. Uh, played a four-day game. Uh, Hampshire really poorly got dropped from the team sent to the second team going bowl some overs you know, just the, the normal stuff um, I remember day one I bowled I think I bowled maybe 15 or 16 overs before tea but I was bowling really well we bowled them out we then batted for a bit that night we then batted for maybe a session and a bit the next day and then we came out and we bowled again and I came in to open the bowling and I hit the crease as soon as my front foot landed and I went over, I had a huge shock all around my waist into my legs, like an electric shock. Um, and my legs felt really weird, like pins and needles. Um, so kind of walked back to my mark, felt weird, tried to run in. I couldn't really run in properly, kind of half bowled and knew immediately something wasn't right. So my legs, they just weren't, they weren't really working properly. Um, so I had unfortunately to leave the field. Physio did a few tests. I did a, went down to do a squat and I struggled to to get back up. Um, so for for a little little period of time, it was quite severe. And then it, it, it kind of came around quite quickly soon after, but I was still having pins and needles and weakness in my legs. And anyway, I went off to London, loads of tests. Um, kind of, I said, the legs kind of came back around a little bit, but 
had brain scans done, full spinal scans done. Um, they only told me this once I got the all clear, but the, the doctor thought I might have um, kind of early stages of uh, multiple sclerosis because it looked like I had something on my on my spinal cord. But luckily, all the tests, I had a spinal tap done, which was pretty, um, pretty horrible where they inject into your spinal cord and remove some of the fluid, but you have to be awake to do it and stuff. And that was that was all fun to go through um but anyway all those tests came back negative and then it was a case of just kind of trying to get back to play cricket which i did um but in the meantime my contract was expiring at essex and they weren't sure whether they're gonna offer me contracts or been injured and so i started speaking to other counties sussex signed me and i spent a full winter with them got in really good shape went on pre-season tour played the first championship game everything went really well then we played the second game and again i bowled yeah, that cut maybe 14, 15 overs by tee. Um, one of our bowlers was six, so we had, we were bowling down. And then, again, I came out, bowled the first over after tee, hit the crease, bang, same, same feeling again. Um, not, it wasn't quite as bad, but it was def- definitely the same thing. Um, so that was twice that it happened properly. Um, again, I had all the tests done, all the scans done. And because it's you know to do with your spinal cord and things like that, you have to be very conservative. Um, and yes, and a couple of weeks later, after I'd had all these tests done again and meetings and, and et cetera, I sat down in the boardroom at Sussex and went through my options and it kind of retiring was, a, was an option because obviously you're, you're dealing with quite serious stuff. Um, it was clear that it only ever happened when I was bowling a lot of overs. Um, so one of the, the, the only real option I ever considered was playing T20 cricket because obviously you're bowling, you're bowling less, aren't you? Um, so I never considered the retirement, but... You know, at 22, it's never, it's never nice to hear. I remember having to go back to my flat after hearing it. They said, obviously, take a you know day or two or speak to whoever you need to speak to, then kind of get back to us. So yeah, I went back to my flat that night in 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 Brighton, and yeah, it was pretty wasn't it wasn't the best day of my life. And just um, anyway, I had to go back to the club, sign waivers to say that the club had given you know presented all the information correctly towards me, and you know, pretty much so I couldn't sue them if the worst happened. <laughs> um, and decided just to give T20s a crack. And obviously I'm glad I did. And I haven't looked back since 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 I stopped bowling all them, those long spells. Um, it hasn't happened again. So touch wood, that will continue. What was the actual diagnosis? Was it, is it very uh, complicated? Yeah, so there's no... There's no I, I, I can't tell you I've got this. But, yeah. but for me, uh, for kind of two vertebrae's worth, it's in my thoracic spine, I can't remember exactly where it is. Mine's really compressed. So there's, there's not much space for the spinal cord to move. Um, pair that with the fact that I'm, you know, I'm hypermobile in my back. So there's a lot of movement going on and pretty much the neurologist, he, um, they came to the kind of the conclusion that that movement over and over and over again of bowling, you know, a lot amount of overs, pretty much the spinal cord just kept getting more and more irritated. Then eventually it would just kind of give up and send like, and pretty much kind of short circuit and then, just happened to be that the part of the spinal cord where it was happening was um, the nerves go to your legs so that's what happened that's what caused that's what you think caused the caused what um what used to happen to me um but yeah that was as, as good as they could kind of surmise from everything that they knew um and i've just kind of gone, gone with that i think injuries at the best of times are quite mentally fatiguing but for you it must have been even worse because not only uh, was it an injury that was keeping you away from playing cricket, which is what you wanted to do? But actually, you were probably having f- 
fears about your sort of long-term health as well when you weren't really sure what actually this injury was or what was the impact that it was going to be? So it's a few years ago now, what we're looking, we're talking, how old am I, 28, but six years ago it was now, six and a bit years ago. So um, I knew that if it happened again, I'd probably be done, um, which isn't a nice, a nice feeling, especially when you're 22, you're, you're in and around the England side, you've got aspirations to play for England, you initially wanted to play test cricket, now you want to play T20 cricket. So I, I knew that if it happened again, I'd be struggling. Um, I if I'm being completely honest, I didn't think too much about the worst case scenario. The fact that you know it could affect my ability to walk properly and things like that—that that was the ultimate worst case scenario. Um, I I never really kind of maybe took it seriously enough. I think luck, luckily, um, so it didn't weigh down on me. I'm not going out like a hero and say that um, you know I fought back from from the brink to to, to do that mentally. But um, I was aware of the risks, um, but I just. I just cracked on. I just, I just got on with it. Um, I just took it, took it day by day. Just, yeah. Unfortunately, I've been injured plenty even since then, just with normal injuries, stretch fractures, hamstrings, quad tears, the, the normal things. And unfortunately for me, it's become, you know, part of part of my life. And you've got no choice. To, if you want to, if you want to keep playing cricket, you got to just get on with it and uh, do what you got to do to get back doing what you want to want to be doing most of the time. Yeah, it's obviously not the best thing to go through, but in a way it sort of ended up being the, the million pound injury really, didn't it? Because it just allowed you to then go on and have this T20 career. So it's funny how things work out. Yeah, you're right. In, in, in a way it was the, you know, the best thing that, that ever happened to me because it allow, allowed me to purely focus on T20 cricket. Um, I kind of, I muddled through that summer because obviously I spent, I had to have like six weeks out whilst we did all the tests and stuff. So then I came back in at the start of the T20 blast and I wasn't really fit and I picked up a few, you know, ankle niggles and stuff. But I did pretty well and modelled through that summer. And then that winter, the ECB, were they were brilliant as well. They, because obviously by then I was on their radar. I'd been on Lions tours and in and around England squad. So they, they helped me kind of alter my training and um, pretty much just spent a whole winter just going on different bowling camps, anything. I went away with like the England under-19s, even though I was too old, but just for a chance to get get away and go to South Africa with them to train and to bowl and to get fit. And then came back that summer, um, kind of really hit the ground running for Sussex and then obviously made my England debut not long after. So, yeah, you know, I, I had a lot of help along the way. But, um, but yeah, you're right. Just just being able to fully focus on T20 cricket, both mentally, physically, um, definitely accelerated my development no end. We'll get on to the actual IPL in a minute. But one thing I want to ask you is when it's coming up to the draft, that 2017 uh, IPL, were your agent saying to you, for example, like, look, you might go for like quite a bit of money here. Or did you have any idea at all? And what was it like when you'd found out that you went for over a million? <laughs> yeah, so I knew. So basically it was it was a perfect storm for me. Um, I'd obviously I had a good summer for in for Sussex. I played for England. Then I went on my first ever kind of winter on the I got on the T twenty circuit. I just put my name in for all the all the tournaments at pretty much the bottom money just to you know get get myself out there, get playing. So I went to Bangladesh, played, flew straight to New Zealand, played for the Auckland Aces, and then managed to I was supposed to come home, but I managed to pick up three games for the Brisbane Heat in the Big Bash. Uh, then we flew to then I got picked to to go to India to play against India in a three match T twenty series, which was obviously just before the IPL auction and you know, I bowled really well in that in that series in a in a, in a quite a high scoring um, series. I, I bowled pretty well, um, especially at the death. So that obviously helped. Um, 
then I flew to the PSL and then yeah literally the week before the the auction Mitchell Stark pulled out of the IPL so um, RCB had a huge kind of hole to fill they needed a bowler they obviously had a big water cash available from his contract um, so yeah my agent the night before messaged me he'd obviously had spoken to to all the teams, to all the coaches, the owners, the analysts, you know, whoever he needed to speak to and just gave me a little rundown team by team. Oh, this team, they don't need a bowler, so they're not interested. Oh, this team um, are interested, but they've only got this much left in the kitty. This team, blah, blah, blah. So I knew that kind of four or five teams were, were interested and we knew it was going to be a decent a decent day. Um, and again, I, I didn't even, I was maybe a bit naive, but looking, but so Dan Vittori was the coach when I played those three games for the Brisbane Heat and he was the RCB coach, and he messaged me the night before the auction saying, um, I hope you enjoy your big day tomorrow. And I, again, I, I didn't even think um, too much of it. But um, so anyway, I was in Dubai at the time. I was playing in the PSL, and the auction was on at like seven, half past seven in the morning. On, it was on TV, so I woke up, set my alarm, obviously woke up. You get the order through, so I knew I was on quite early in the draft and watched watched the draft on TV. My best mate, Kradz, he was in the UK. He faced, he woke up at four in the morning. To, he couldn't get a stream of it at home. So he was FaceTiming me watching the TV. And then, um, yeah, Stokes, he went, Stokes, he was a few players before me and he went for similar money to me, maybe a, a little bit more. And then obviously, you know, your name popped up on, on, on the screen and then the bidding just, just starts. Um, it was initially Mumbai and Kings Eleven, just kind of going back and forth, back and forth, and it looked like I was going to Mumbai for, I think it was around six hundred thousand US. I think I've, it's, just, it's I've got it saved on the YouTube clip for my thing. Um, I haven't watched it for for a little while, but then then um, RCB and uh, KKR came in, and again the the, the bidding uh, kept going from there, and then obviously. RCB ended up winning, but it was um, it was a surreal feeling watching it watching it on TV. That's for sure. It must have been just a crazy thing to experience, and especially when you think about how much money that is. Someone's willing to pay that for your services. It's just it's crazy when you actually think about that. Um, but also, it must have been such a nice moment when you think like a couple of years before you were close to retirement, and now you're one of the the highest prices in the world and you're one of the most sought after players in the world. Like that's quite a nice moment to think actually it's all been worth it. All the work to get back fit again. Yeah, it was, it was nice. Obviously I can't say anything other than it was, it was great. Um, as you say, to go from kind of almost retiring to that moment was, you know, it's pretty surreal. And I, I, I don't come from any money either. Um, kind of, raised by a single parent we you know we, we didn't have a lot awful lot growing up so it was nice to know that I could always help my mum out and things with anything that she needs um but it was also strange because that that draft was in February um I was in the middle of a tournament I was playing in the PSL so you um I was playing with Luke Wright and Nathan McCullum in my team for Quetta Gladiators and yeah so I remember so normally also in the PSL that year all teams were staying in the same hotel so I, d I didn't want to go for breakfast in the, you know, in the buffet with, where everybody would be because obviously everybody's going to know. So we went somewhere else for breakfast, but they um, they made sure I paid for breakfast that morning. <laughs> um, but yeah, my phone obviously went ballistic um, that 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 whole next twenty four hours, forty eight hours a week really. But, um, but yeah, I was still playing in the tournament. I had to, I still had to focus on what I was doing in that tournament, and then 
the IPL was still two months away or however long it was. So um, it's, 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 it's a period of my life I'll never forget. Um, and you probably won't ever experience that again either. And actually just the IPL itself, what is it like being a part of it? Because obviously cricket is pretty famous in England, but in India there's just so much more added pressure. They're like proper, properly famous people. And you're now a part of that playing in front of 80,000 fans. What's it actually like? Oh, it's awesome. Look, I've, it's one of my big regrets. I haven't, it didn't go as well as what I wanted it to. I got injured after five games, I think. I kind of tweaked my hamstring and I, I couldn't quite get back to, to to play again. But, you know, I'm desperate to get back and play out there. It's, it's, it's unlike anything else in, you know, world cricket. Every game is sold out from kind of 40 through to 80,000 people. It's an hour before the game. The ground is full of everybody wanting to be there. Um, but it was, it was also nice because in my team, obviously, we had Virat Kohli, Chris Gale, A.B. de Villiers, Shane Watson. So there's a lot of much bigger names than yourself. It wasn't, I wasn't feeling overawed by anything. Um, you know, the, the team were really good. I was no, under no pressure myself. I didn't feel like I, you know, I had to perform because I'd gone for a certain price tag. Um, but yeah, look, I want to I get back out there because it, it didn't go as well as what... Um, I know it could have, and I still feel I can perform at that level now. But um, yeah, it's it's a brilliant tournament. It's it's a really really brilliant tournament to be part of, both on and off the field. You know, all the all the sponsors and media engagements you got to do, doing TV adverts. Um, you know, you get back from training and you're tired, but you've got to go film a shoot somewhere, and you know, it's it's it's, it's full on. But it's um, it's 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 pretty cool. I can't lie. Yeah, it seems insane. And you've actually played pretty much all over the world cricket. You've obviously played the Big Bash and the Pakistan Super League, as you've mentioned. Um, and you, you're basically playing franchise cricket um, all around the world. Um, what is franchise cricket like? Because for me, it must be weird because you enter a dressing room with a whole load of people and players from different nationalities, different countries and they don't know each other. So how, how that must be quite weird. And, and how do you build an affinity with, with players that you've never played with before? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's, it's, it's tough to be honest. It, it varies team to team. I think the most successful teams get those off the field bits right. Because um, as you say, you can be literally flying in and together for four weeks, four to six weeks, depending on kind of you know, the length of the tournament. Um, and as I said, the most successful teams, they, they find a way to build that actual sense of team in a short period of time, getting the guys to buy in, um, to the foreign guys to care about the, the local guys, you know, to help out some of the young, the local guys. Mickey Arthur, who was at the time, he was the Pakistan head coach. He was the, the head coach for Karachi Kings when I played for those guys in the, in the PSL. And one of the first things he did is he pulled us overseas players just to the side one day to look, I'm not, I'm not worried about you guys. You know, you, you'll do your thing on the field training, etc. But if you can just give, you know, find a, you know, T find a young Pakistani bowler and just help him out, you know, around training, around the games, if you can just give back something to the team, it will go a long way, you know, in the wider kind of cricketing sense. So that's something that always stuck with me. Um, but you're right. I think it's, it's, it's easy to be selfish in, in franchise cricket, just fly in, do your four weeks, fly out, not really care, just try and do your best with your cricket. But you've got to enjoy it. You've got to embrace your different cultures. You know, you're playing, as you say, with guys all around the world. That that winter that I spoke about, I said I flew from Bangladesh to New Zealand, to Australia, to India, to Dubai, and then back home and then to India again. And that's so many different people, different cultures, different experiences you're having in a space of six months. So 
um, you'd be for me you'd be stupid not to take advantage of that and and learn stuff you know I know so much more about other cultures now than what um than what I ever did before um and yeah I, I enjoy it personally this new style of professional cricket where you're essentially acting as a freelance cricketer going around playing all the different T20 franchises do you think that's something that as time goes on we'll see more younger kids doing it's, it's obviously it's available now but I've been very lucky I'm I'm I kind of say I'm semi-freelance because the one I've always had um, a base at Sussex. Sussex have been brilliant to me. So I'm I'm contracted 12 months of the year with Sussex. So um, I always, Sussex have to sign, every competition I go to, I have to get Sussex to sign off. So if, you know, if I've got an injury or a niggle, Sussex have every right to say, you know, no, you're not, you're not going. Um, and as long as, and obviously I prioritise playing for Sussex in the blast from, you know, June, June to August or whatever it is each, each year. So I've always got that base. Um to, to fall back on if I'm playing somewhere and I get injured I come home and I've got the treatment from Sussex whereas those freelance guys have to sort all that stuff out on their own so it's difficult um, also my decision was made for me because I was injured I can't I can't play four day cricket anymore and I maybe do 50 over cricket but it just wasn't worth the risk whereas a lot of guys they're making that decision that they don't want to anymore so they'll have, first of all they'll have to take an initial pay cut because the counties obviously aren't going to pay them as, not, as much just to play T20 cricket and then you got to, you got to back yourself. You got to gamble that you're going to pick up these contracts around around the world. It's it's a very fickle world. Franchise T20 cricket. You can be, you know, flavour of the month uh, one month and then have a bad tournament and then you get discarded very quickly. So you need to um, be prepared for that because um, it's not as it's not necessarily as easy or as glamorous as as you might hope it to be. Um, a lot of the time, and you put yourself under financial and professional pressure. I guess, yeah, that's so true, isn't it? Because on the outside, uh, as a fan, you'll just look at, oh, a franchise cricketer just gets to chase the sun and travel the world getting paid to play cricket, which is the dream, really. But actually, there's quite a lot of uncertainty because you're going from contract to contract. Um, you don't know where you're going to be based. You don't know which teams are going to bid for you. You could be anywhere. Um, and you don't know when the next contract's coming either. So it, it must be quite mentally fatiguing in that sense as well. Yeah, it can be. As I say, you spend now, look, I don't want to say that I'm at all negative towards it. It's an excellent life. I've, I've had some brilliant experiences, but um, there, there definitely are challenges. Like now I'm, but when I was younger, I was, it was the best ever, you know, single flying around the world doing what you want. It's, it's awesome. But now I'm, you know, I'm married. I've just had a daughter. Um, so the next time I go away and play, I'll be kind of spending an extended time away from my daughter for the first time. And those are the type of things that, definitely have a have a wear on you um you know they can come to certain places but certain places they're you know they, they're not going to come with you so um you've got to navigate your way around that that's definitely a, it's going to be a new obstacle for me um but yeah there, there, there's so many pros and they outweigh the cons and it's, it's you don't know how long it's going to last for you get to 31 two, three, four, then it's over then you're doing something else aren't you so you've got to you've got to enjoy it you've got to throw yourself into it whilst you can um and make the most of it yeah, it sounds like an incredible experience and it does sound like you made the most of it for sure. Um, but another big high in your career was playing for England. You obviously got selected to play against Sri Lanka in 2016 and then went on to play against India in 2017. So how did that actually come about and what was it like playing for your national side? Literally played for Sussex, first game got rained off, I think, and then we played that, you know, now kind of infamous game against Somerset at home and I got Gale out and then that was, because it was on Sky TV, it was very lucky that that kind of shot me into the, 
the, the cricketing public eye. Um, if that game wasn't on TV, things might have been completely different. That's with the way you know the broadcast is is in England. Not every game you play in the Blast is on TV. So that being on TV, it being Chris Gale, it was it, it was very cold that night, and I'm pretty sure he'd flown in that morning. So I caught him at a very um, at a very good time. Um, but yeah, then from there, obviously, I, I played a few more good games for for Sussex and. Yeah, it was just a one-off T20 game for for England against um, Sri Lanka at the time. England traditionally don't play a lot of T20 cricket, which they're playing a little bit more now as the lead up to a back-to-back World Cups. But it was just a one-off T20, which obviously so it was it was very short. I got called up to the squad. I think we had one training session um, two days before before the game, and then we had a day off, and then played the T20. I got picked. I, you know, I bowled pretty well. Didn't, didn't get a wicket. I think. I think I only went for 21. I think, and then. That was it that night. Drove back to Sussex. Then I think we had a game the next day or the or the day after for for Sussex. So it was it was in and out. Um, but then obviously when I went to India the following January, where it was that was obviously a proper you know a tour and my, a real taste of you know the highest opening the bowling against Virat Kohli. That that was a proper kind of yardstick moment. See okay, well, let's see where you're at. Um, and again, I look back on those three games really fondly because um, as I said you don't know if you're going to get to that level again and that goes back to what you said before about having those successes that you can refer to in times of pressure and obviously if you're bowling and doing well against Virat Kohli then that's something you can refer to all the time yeah you just it's just good to see where you're at isn't it you, you want to play for England you want to be good enough but until you're actually there and you know in the out in the middle you, you don't know do you but you know I look back and I'm really pleased with how I performed in in those three games um and yeah, obviously, it then kind of kicked on for, from there. And obviously, as we spoke about before, you're sort of looking more towards the end of your career and um, things you're going to be doing after. You've obviously done a lot of media, but a thing we obviously want to talk about is your work with the Pace Journal. Um, so you've just released a book today, haven't you? Yeah, good timing. Literally, uh, yeah, we dropped it, dropped it this morning. That's class. And then what's the sort of overall goal with that? Because I've been following the page for um, for like years now. I think it's such a good page, but it's just interviewing uh, fast bowlers about their, their mindset and, and their careers, really, isn't it? Yeah, as such. So we're, we're just started. So basically, when I, so Shabazz, he started the page a couple of years ago and he's um, he wanted to give his story. So basically, he was like an up-and-coming fast bowler that he, he pretty much kind of defeated himself in his own mind he had all the attributes he had the pace but he was you know a perfectionist he just wanted to train all the time and always change something and he kind of defeated himself really and ended up flaming out of the game unfortunately um and lost what he feels could potentially have been been a really good career so he he started the page I think as a way just to try and help others not not do the same thing that he did and then it's obviously grown um, really big especially in the subcontinent and then I think he was looking for, you know, a current player to partner with to kind of take the page to another level, give the page a bit more insight into professional sport, um, some credibility. Um, and that's so, so kind of start of this year, he, he approached me and spoke to me about what, you know, what the vision is, what the plan is, they introduced me to the team behind the scenes. And it, look, it's, it's been it's been something that I'm really, really pleased I got involved with. Um, actually, I've done a lot of media work over the last few years. I think you know, I try to use my time, my spare time, of which I have plenty, only playing T20 cricket as, as productively as possible. But to have something, you know, to have ownership of something, something that, you know, I'm actually part of now to 
put my time in, put my effort in and, and to grow and to hopefully, you know, help people and, and grow a business as such is, is something that I've really enjoyed, especially once lockdown hit this year and we weren't playing cricket for months and then it actually gave me a chance to really kind of get involved and learn how, a, you know, an online business works, all the, you know, setting up all graphics, targeting posts and there's so, there's so much to go into it. It's not just, you know, somebody on, on a phone pumping out a few Instagram clips. Um, so, yeah, we I said we we're now taking the business to a, a next stage and we're actually starting to sell something for the first time. And, and Shabazz has taken a lot of time and written a book pretty much. It's not his story as such, but it's kind of the, the pitfalls and the lessons that, that can be learned. Because um, I've, I've been lucky enough to become a professional cricketer. I don't want to say easily because I've worked hard at it, but I didn't, I, I didn't have to, um, you know, trial around for ages, go through different, you know, plug away and stuff I, I got kind of spotted and scouted and, and fast tracked through a system that's that's the fact you know I had to put a lot of effort into it to to make it work but I kind of got a, I got a lot of help and a helping and a, and a helping start whereas a lot of others aren't like out there don't obviously have that opportunity and they'll be dreaming of one day becoming a, a fast bowler for a professional team or even just moving up the ranks in club cricket you know going from being a third 11 player to a first 11 player there's so many different levels and Hopefully, the book that we um, that we've released today, you know, it's, it's all Shabazz's words, um, but it's, you know, it's got my blessing and it's got other blessings that we've we've showed it to, and um, hopefully, it can just just help not just fast bowlers but cricketers out there just make make some smarter decisions. Pretty much, not pretty much not overthink things and play cricket. There's so many guys out there that don't actually play enough cricket. They're too busy focusing on training and tweaking and, and doing all those other bits when really you need to go out there and you need to try and find out how to take wickets, score runs, take catches, because at the end of the day, that's, what's, that's what gets you noticed. It sounds like a really great initiative. I think you've already got over 100,000 followers on Instagram, so it's already got a lot of traction. And with this book as well, hopefully it should be helping a lot of cricketers. Um, and I, I think fast bowling in general has just got to be one of the most intriguing parts of, of cricket. Um, I mean, I don't think there's anything quite like fast bowling in terms of getting fans excited. It really does get them away from the bar and into seats to watch like a great spell of fast bowling. Um, so how does it actually feel being one of the fastest bowlers in the world and being at the top of your run and, and knowing that uh, the other person at the end might be a bit scared, <laughs> scared of you and, and you can really impact someone in that way? Yeah, look, cricket, cricket in general is a funny sport because more often than not, you have a bad day. It's, you have more bad days than you have good days. You bowl more bad or average spells than you bowl good spells. But those days when everything's going right, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's almost euphoric. I know it sounds a bit cheesy, but that's, it's why you play the game. It's why you keep coming back for those spells that you bowl, those matches where you, you genuinely feel untouchable. And yeah, you know, I've been lucky to have plenty of those over my career where I, you know, you're running in and you, you feel like a million dollars. You feel like the, the batsman can't hit you. You feel like you're going to get them out every ball and or you feel like you're intimidating them. And it's those those feelings that you might only have once every 10 games or, or whatever it is. And every so often, you, you know, you, you're not quite there and you're trying to find it. But you, it just keeps you coming back. And it's saying if you're a batter, that, that one big hundred you score, you'll remember that and how you felt and... It's, it's, it's a funny sport cricket as I say you fail a lot more than you get it right but when you get it right it's a it's an amazing feeling um, and yeah you just you just ride the wave as long as you can 100% well we both know from personal experience that cricket can be quite a horrible game but um, <laughs> mentally what, what advice would you give sort of young players out there who are, who are 
wanting to go on and do what you've done? It's, it's tricky because cricket is cricket's such a broad game. So it's, it's not like football where it's 90 minutes on the same size pitch over and over again. Cricket's so variable, so many different things that, that goes that goes on. But I always say to guys is, is find what you're good at and always remember what you're good at. If you have a strength, try and play to your strength as much as possible. Make your strength a super strength. That's something I always say to to guys, kind of academy players and things that are trying to get into the first team or you know, whatever level you are. Find find what you're good at and experiment and, and eventually you'll, you'll find, okay, I'm good at this, I can do this and then make that really good so then you've got a reason to get, you know, to get picked, to get in teams and the like. And then um, just always remember that when things are going bad, remember what you're good at. Don't... People who always sweat the, you know, sweat the small stuff, sweat the negatives, um, and it's hard. Look, it's, you can't be perfect all the time. You can't always have this positive mental attitude that you're, you're the best. And that when you get when you're getting hit six six six, you can't go, oh, yeah, I'm awesome. I'm going to do this. So you, it, it's tough sometimes. But you need to build up some resiliency, um, and just focus as as much as you can on um, on the positives. Take and take some time as well. Sometimes you need to just take a breath in the middle of a game or whatever, and just calm yourself down or when you're reflecting just you know try and find the positives they're, they're they're the big things I think mentally from from my point of view that you've got to try and um, try and crack it seems like that's always been a strong asset of yours like you've already mentioned uh, today that um, you didn't really feel pressure when you had that massive price tag on your back at, at the IPL and I think you've talked about previously when you're at the top of your run-up you can sort of switch off and forget about all the external pressures. So do you think that mindset um, has helped you in your career? Yeah, I, I, I think I'm very lucky. It's not something I, I think I've had to, to really work on. I think because I had success as a youngster, when I kind of burst onto the scene, it, it set me up well mentally for kind of the rest of my career because you have you have success to draw upon, if that makes sense. You, 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 you always know, I, I, I know that I'm good enough because I've done it and I did it early. So... Um, I was able to, as I say, draw upon that and then use that when times are bad. Um, as, and as you say, I, I feel I could, when I'm stood at the end of my run-up, I could be in a park, I could be in front of 80,000 at Eden Gardens or, or anywhere in between. And I'd like to think I'm pretty good at, at staying grounded and, and, and staying the same. Um, in fact, I'm, if anything, I'm, I'm the other way around where I love, you know, I love the big crowds. I love I get I, I feed off it, you know, I'm a bit of a bit of a showboat maybe. Um I enjoy I enjoy the the buzz and the big occasion. Sometimes it's it's a struggle for me to get up for it when you're playing in front of no crowd. Um, you know, like we were this summer, unfortunately. It was great that we were playing, but it's it's never the same when you're playing in an empty stadium. You always you want that buzz, that atmosphere, you know, the, the, the fans, the crowd. Um so uh yeah, it's as I said, I've been lucky that I've, I've not, I didn't have a lot of negative experiences when I was younger that kind of scarred me moving forward when I was um, then turned professional, I guess. And talking of playing with no fans, I obviously follow you on Instagram and I've been following what you've been doing. Um, and you're out in, is it in Dubai doing, is it UKC? Uh, that looks weird. Yeah. <laughs> What's happening there? Yeah, so very random. I got, literally, I was, I was on the golf course at the end of the season and my agent texted me saying, oh, do you fancy going to, to Dubai for this um, indoor one-on-one cricket tournament? He was like, I don't have too much information at the moment, but would you, are you available for this? You know, and then he sent me the dates. I was like, 
yeah, I kind of, yeah, sure, kind of what, you know, whatever. Didn't really expect much of it. And then a few days later, like the official kind of, they sent us a pack through all the rules and what, how it was going to look. And yeah, it was, it was actually really cool. It was, it was much better run than I thought it was going to be. It was one of those things where you kind of anticipate showing up and it's a bit of a, you know, shit show. Sorry, don't want to swear. But um, it was very well done. It was very professional. It was proper production. It was done in the Coca-Cola Arena in Dubai, which is, so like like the O2 whatever and it's they they built a proper kind of a cricket cage with um you know proper like indoor cricket surface and um it was really good it was taken really seriously the guys Kevin Peterson Andre Russell Chris Gale Owen Morgan um you know proper names playing in it um and it, it was a shame there was no crowd there because uh, as I said with it being an indoor arena I think there could have been a really good atmosphere so hopefully in the future series of it, which I know they're planning on filming, they'll be able to see the crowd there and they want to take it around the world as well. They want, they can, because it's an indoor, all you need is an arena. I said that you can do it at the O2. They want to take it to America. They, you know, Australia, you can do it, do it all around the world. But yeah, it was, it was one-on-one cricket with just a couple of fielders. Um, it's quite funny, quite unique rules. And it took, took the guys a little bit of time to kind of find what the best tactics might be. Uh, but it was short, sharp and, yeah, it was it was interesting, and it was just another you know another form of cricket, another form of entertainment to um, to give a go. And I think it's being it's being rolled out over Christmas. I know it's been uh, put out on Star Sports in Asia. I'm not sure if anybody's got the broadcast rights for it over here, but hopefully, uh, hopefully they do. I'll be interested to see how it comes across on TV. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. We'll definitely uh, keep an eye out for that one. <laughs> um, but moving forward, you uh, you've obviously got quite a, a while left in your career. But after a career. Um, I know you've got an interest in working in the media, perhaps you, uh, you seem to be uh, on, on the radio or um, commentating quite frequently these days. And obviously you did sports journalism for about uni. So is, is media work something you'd be interested in the future, do you think? Yeah, I'd be stupid to not to continue it, I think. As I, as I said earlier, as soon as I, as soon as I um, retired from, from 50 over in four-day cricket, I obviously realised that I had a lot more free time playing only T20 cricket. I'm not playing, obviously four-day games that you know last five days really once you travel and, and things like that so I had a lot more free time and kind of as you said I did I did sports journalism for uni until I ended up dropping out when cricket kind of took off um, so yeah I've always had an interest in that I've always tried to um, to dip my toe in as any time I've gotten injured or I've had spare time I've been straight onto my agent to you know to to get him to let companies know that you know I'm available, I'm looking for for work. I'll you know I'll travel around, I'll do commentary wherever I can. I've done you know, some writing. So I've got a good relationship now with Sky on TV and with BBC for for, for radio work. So you know I, I don't know exactly what I want to do full time once I retire, but I'd like to think I've I've made a good good kind of start and put some feelers out in the media and then with the stuff for Pace Journal as well. I think that will um, aid that. We're going to look. We we have some quite big and exciting plans for the company but with covid this year that's kind of put put pay to a lot of it because we're not able to do, we, we want to plan to do some more stuff face to face and on camera but obviously we've not been able to get in front of players and, and and things that we would have liked to um this year so hopefully in the future we can do that and then i can work on presenting and, and interviewing a little bit more and do some other things so yeah, again during lockdown, I, I did some courses, some online courses with um, you know media guys, Mark Pugach and um, and the la- and the like to just work on yeah work on a few bits and and keep keep trying to improve and and keep keep trying to keep um, kind of relationships going because as you said, I don't know when when I'm going to have to retire from playing cricket. I know my body's probably not got as long as what I'll, I would want it want it to. So um, 
you know you have to be ready for for when that day comes one day or another yeah i guess it's it's worth building up all these skills whether it's in the, the media um but also with your business as well um and it it maybe your injuries uh, early on in your career made you realize actually you need to build these skills so you can prepare for a life outside of cricket once that day comes that you do need to retire so it's, it's all really good things to do but maybe in the short term what, what would you say are your ambitions for your cricketing career yeah i want i want i've played for england now for almost three years and that i've only played four games for england um, and I, I feel i'm good enough to play for england um even now, the one thing that's kind of kept me going every time I've gotten an injury, I've come back to to the level that I previously was, or you know, potentially even better. This summer, I, I felt I was bowling better than I ever have in terms of pace and control. Um, so that's kind of keeping me going a little bit. I want to get back to playing, you know, for England to the IPL. You know, I want to be playing in all these tournaments and and performing at a high level. So I'm not a big goal setter at all. I, I've learned not to because you end up disappointed a lot more of the time than probably you do the other way. But um, if if I had to have a goal, I definitely want to play for England again in T20 cricket. Um, you know, still I'm 28 now, so I've, I've still got hopefully some good years left in me. Um, but yeah, that's that's if, if if I had to give one goal, that's 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 all I want. But ultimately, my only goal is to is to stay fit and to to play play cricket for a period of time, and then I hope that my performances on the field will then allow those other things to happen. I think, as we've said, fast bowling is one of the most unique skills um, and it's not something that you can really learn. Like you, you can either bowl really, really quick or like you can't and you can. Um, and it must feel quite empowering to have that. But I was wondering how much notice do you actually take of the actual pace you bowl at? And do you almost get a bit competitive with it sometimes? Like say you see Joffre Archer bowl, oh, he's been clocked at 95 miles per hour. I need to get up 96. <laughs> yeah, a, a little bit. when. When we're um, when we're obviously myself, Joff playing the same team at Sussex. Obviously, we don't see as much of, of Joff now. He's playing all forms for England. But yeah, you definitely um, say if we're coming off the field and we've played a TV game, you always want to have a look who's who's bowled quicker that game, and you have a bit of um, a bit of crack about it. We used to Joff's, Joff's obviously put on a lot of pace as well in the last couple of years. When he first played for Sussex, he was he was a little bit slower, and he he we went for a little period where he, he never. Um, he didn't bowl. He'd never bowled ninety miles an hour on TV. So we always used to take the mick out of him, saying he hadn't hit the ninety mile an hour club <laughs> at the time. He had like myself, Chris Jordan, who had bowled over ninety mile ninety mile an hour, Ajmal Shazad, who had when he played for England, kind of a few years back. So we used to always um, egg, egg him on a little bit. I think even Luke Wright, had, Luke Wright had even hit ninety miles an hour. I think in a game, for England, <laughs> but he, I think he might have been a bit of a bit of a typo on the on the screen. So Wrighty used to always. Uh, take the mick out of Joff as well. But uh, yeah, you, you have a bit of crack about it. You, you, you always want to be the fastest bowler on the field, definitely. I've been listening to pods, obviously, before to get ready for this one. I know you're a big American sports fan, so you'll be watching the NFL. Yeah, let you get yeah I've got an hour and five minutes, yeah, so I've got to have, have dinner, wash, uh, put, bath the baby, and then um, then I can do what I want then for the rest of the night, and I can watch uh, watch the Raiders game in yeah an hour and hour and five minutes. So uh, oh, perfect, perfect, perfect timing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Well, we really appreciate. Yeah, that. no worries, guys. Nice, to, nice to meet you. Oh, meet you. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right, guys. Take care. All the best. Yeah. Cheers. You too. Cheers. Bye bye.